Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to our program today. My name is Ellie Nieves, and I'm a speaker, a writer, and a leadership strategist. I'm also the founder and president of Leadership Strategies for Women, where I coach women just like you to help you develop the confidence and leadership skills that you need to achieve your best in every area of your life. To learn more about Leadership Strategies for Women, you can visit my webpage at www.leadershipstrategiesforwomen.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for my free monthly newsletter and you'll receive seven leadership strategies for success in life and business. The topic of our show today is Fostering Executive Leadership in Women. Our guest is Dr. Tammy Wong. Dr. Wong is the author of the book, The Hourglass Effect, Leveraging Female Talent for Your Competitive Advantage. Dr. Tammy Wong's professional career spans over three decades of sales, marketing, and strategy experience in Fortune 500 companies. She's the founder and CEO of Fostering Executive Leadership, Inc., a worldwide results-based consulting business that focuses on a company's people and return on investment. She works with companies that want to make a difference in their organizations by developing, advancing, and retaining women and ultimately becoming an employer of choice. Dr. Wong's extensive education includes a BS in economics from St. Mary's College and an MBA from Pepperdine University. She earned her Ph.D. in organization and management with an emphasis in leadership in 2005. Her doctoral dissertation is titled Fostering Executive Leadership in Women. Dr. Wong, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Ellie. It's nice to be here. Thank you for joining us today. So, Dr. Wong, can you tell me a little bit about your personal background and what sparked your interest in women in leadership? Sure. Um, I had been in corporate America for uh, 28 years, And within that time frame, I had worked for many companies such as IBM, Xerox, and Sun Microsystems. And with that, in my personal life, I had also um, uh, had five children, all single births, and the first four were boys, and the last one was a girl. And that was in 1996 that I had my daughter. And at that time, I had um, been an executive for both IBM and Xerox and really felt that um, and learned from my daughter that it girls are different uh, than boys, and I I never had had that experience before. I'd always been typically the only female uh, with 10 or 12 men, felt very comfortable with that, Um, was in uh, athletics uh, growing up in both tennis and track, and uh, competed in both the high school and college days in those uh, two sports, and so I was very comfortable with um, being around uh, men and uh, being in a group that I was only female. But I realized after having my daughter that there were a lot of differences, and I felt like I needed to give back. And at that point, I started doing a lot more research around women. I started looking at the women that I had mentored and people that had mentored me and really felt that that was probably something that I wanted to get into a little bit more. And with that, I got involved in the women's organization at Xerox. Um, I was Ann Mulcahy's, I guess, right-hand person for an event, and uh, she taught me quite a bit about um, women in leadership. And then I moved on to Xerox, um, then on to Sun. And with that, I um, took some of the information on building women's uh, leadership groups and built a women's organization at uh, Sun from about 300 people to 2,000 worldwide. And that was really uh, giving back to the women. And so um, I have really done a tremendous amount of work around that. In 2005, I went and got my PhD and really looked at how I could actually build leadership for women and how we could actually promote women within organizations 
that could be become more women-friendly and be an employer of choice. Wonderful. And you're, you said you're, that your dissertation was uh, titled Fostering Executive Leadership in Women. What were some of the findings in your dissertation? Well, one of the findings is um, that it's very, very important for women to find a mentor. Uh, from a standpoint of um, both men and women, uh, women actually, uh, 100% of the cases that women had mentors, uh, they were able to get ahead and get promoted. Um, typically, men have more mentors than women. It's just it seems to be a natural tendency, but women really have to go out and get a mentor uh, to get ahead. I also find that you, when you are selecting a company, you have to look at the cultural um, piece of that company, succession planning, and the development of women within the corporation. And what I mean by that is you have to look at companies that are women-friendly. A great way to look at that is actually look at a catalyst list and see who is actually on that list. Talk to a few people that are in the company. Um, many times a person might be, a company might be on the list, um, but the culture is changing or they've uh, been acquired, so the culture continues to shift and change. My recommendation is talk to as many people as you can within the company. Find out if they are women-friendly, if they are looking at how they can, you know, basically have succession planning for women, and actually do development around uh, activities specifically for women in leadership. That's a wonderful point to make. I think a lot of women, when they're looking for employment or they're looking for a new company to establish themselves in, are more concerned about how they're being viewed and how they're going to fit in, but not necessarily on how that company is now going to nurture them and develop their leadership potential and their growth. I, I agree, Ellie. I think it's, it's, a, it's with, with uh, so many different companies being acquired today, with downsizing, right-sizing, I think it's really important for women uh, to get into companies that uh, actually flourish your leadership uh, abilities and capabilities. Mm -hmm. Now, can you tell me about your executive coaching business? Sure. Um, I have um, uh, been out on my own for about three years, and I have um, about 104 people uh, worldwide now uh, in my coaching practice, and I really call it a, a results-based coaching uh, organization. And what we do is we work around a lot of leadership development, uh, succession planning, uh, conflict resolution. We also are doing a lot of merger and acquisition work uh, for companies that uh, want to um, bring two companies together or three companies and actually create a third culture uh, within that company. And we've been very successful in that. But when I first started, uh, anybody who's looking at doing your own business, I uh, found to scale I really needed to add people and skill sets uh, to do that. All my coaches uh, typically um, have a secondary degree, so an MBA, uh, PhD, uh, JD, Master's. Uh, they've been in corporate America for 15 years and they also have to have gone through certification as a certified executive coach through the ICF uh, standards, which is International Coaching Federation. So I have a real um, high-valued group, and uh, we've been pretty successful out there in the market. And Dr. Wong, can you uh, explain what an executive coach does for those of, of our listeners who aren't familiar with executive coaching? Sure. Um, an executive coach, uh, you might be looking at um, some things from a, both a uh, professional and a personal piece. Uh, you might want to look at um, presence, uh, getting from a VP position to an EVP or even a CEO. How do you uh, uh, actually have traction there? And what we do is we create uh, where you currently are. Uh, we push it out six months from a strategic standpoint, where you'd like to be, and then basically put a strategic plan in place to get you there. 
and that's why I call ourselves a, a results, uh, a return on investment for the company, but we're results-based. So we track everything as we go along, and we've had r- very, very good success. Some of our success stories are where we took a $500,000 performer, moved them into a million-dollar um, performer. We've had um, uh, VPs move into uh, executive vice president roles, and even a um, uh, senior VP moving into a CEO role, CEO role in the next three years. And so it's something that we have an opportunity of working with lots of different companies and really working with their management staff and honoring the people's skill set and the talent that people do provide within companies. Now, what might be some of the things that you work on to develop someone from a VP level to an executive VP level and beyond? Uh, one of the things, and I'll, I'll share this with the, with the team right here, is when you first start uh, in any corporate job, um, really it, I call it the pie factor, and that's performance, image, and exposure. When you first start a career, um, you're pretty much rated on uh, how you're performing, and that's usually about 80%. Your image is about 10%, and your exposure is about 10%. But as you move into um, more executive roles, what happens is that actually flips People hire you um, in a company for your results, but after that, it's really the relationships that you create and what you do within the company. Results are something that that are often um, uh, already assumed that you're going to do. And so when you you move into an executive rank, performance, uh, because it's already assumed, is rated at about 10%. Image is about 10%, but your exposure to others how you affect, how you influence, how you communicate is about 80%. So it ultimately flips as you get into higher positions. And there's a different way of uh, communicating, speaking, and strategically actually working with uh, a senior-level senior group of people. So what are some things that, let's say, a woman who is in a VP position should start considering if she wants to move ahead in her company? So one of the things is you have to look at um, uh, who are your um, – advocates and who are your supporters. Uh, And what I mean by that is an advocate is somebody who, when you're not in the room, is speaking very highly of you. Uh, They're promoting you. They're saying great things about you. And they'll even stick up for you if something is said and they don't agree with it. A supporter is somebody that you might be in the room uh, in a a business meeting and they, they like your ideas, but they would not go out of their way to actually promote you. And so you have to really start looking at how many people are advocates of yours, uh, for a woman, you have to have a mentor, and I and it doesn't matter if it's a woman or or a man. It's important to have one, and the reason why it's important to have one is you have to look at your um, sort of where the gaps are in your uh, resume and your skill sets, and really start filling those gaps. A mentor really helps you do that, and and in cases I've had up to three mentors at a time, because of the skill set that I choose of a mentor. What I do is I find out who has the skill set I would like to learn a little bit about, and then that, and I approach that mentor, ask if they'd like to do a six-month engagement with me, and then um, actually then work with them on a more of an informal basis. And even in my own business, I've actually gotten two um, female uh, mentors who are CEOs of multi, multi-millionaire companies right now, I guess as you, you would say, mm-hmm. because... Um, when you grow your own business, you really have to go and figure it out all on your own. Working in corporate America, you might my background is um, marketing, sales, and strategy. Uh, I had to go out and find financial, legal. You really have to put the team in place. And I think it's important even in growing your own business that you actually go out and get mentors of people who have done it, who have been in the business um, over 10 years, 
and who are uh, profitable uh, from a, um, uh, a standpoint of uh, monetary and known uh, commodity in the market. Great. Now, can you tell me something about your book, uh, The Hourglass Effect? What inspired you to write that book? Well, actually, the, the book is uh, very much um, both my research experience and also a bit of my dissertation. And I call it the hourglass effect because if you look at the shape of a woman, it's a bit like an hourglass. But if you look at also um, the population uh, worldwide, we currently, uh, in, even in the U.S., uh, for every two baby movers, there's only one Gen, Gen X coming up behind them. And so it really is um, very much a, uh, a wide um, population in the baby boomer population. Gen X thins down and then it gets wide again in the Gen Y um, piece. So in basically 2010, 2012, we are going to have um, a lot more opportunities as women being hired, but also 58% of the women coming out of uh, colleges are uh, women, and also 51% um, of the population in the United States are women. And so with that, um, companies really have to start getting smart about how they hire women and how they promote women because that is a population that they're going to be hiring in the next few years. And how can companies start incorporating this kind of a vision into their strategy overall as they move forward? Um, one of the biggest things is when they do any kind of hiring, both internally or externally, that they make sure that they have um, a female in that mix and wait until they have a female in that mix. Uh, too many times people hire um, similar people what they look like, and that is uh, not usually a best case for growing diversity or uh, new ideas or opinions. So you have to look at um, having, uh, an, I would love to have more minorities uh, within that mix uh, also and have an opportunity of looking at the entire pool of people. And I will tell you, if you, if you look at a candidate uh, from a standpoint of um, we have to find a female, uh, they will, and they also have to actually get um, uh, get different things based in their comp plan to actually do that. And what I mean by that is they're actually rated on it, mm -hmm. uh, not only in their compensation but on their um, yearly review or six-month review that they're actually rated on the talent that they hire internally or externally. Another thing I will share with you from a research standpoint, which I always find intriguing, is that both women and men do this. When you are hiring for somebody um, and you are looking at a, a woman for a position, uh, a woman and a man both want that woman to have 100% of the skill set to do the job. But for a male, if a woman or man looks at a male, typically the man only has to have about 70% of the skill set and the other 30% can be learned on the job. And so both men and women actually um, affect the hiring of really talented women. And I think what we have to do is actually give the opportunity to women when we see uh, a female that might have only 70% of the skill set to say, you know what, we can teach that person the other 30%. That's an interesting statistic. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you find it beneficial when companies develop programs that are directly targeted for women, like perhaps a recruitment specialist that focuses on just recruiting women or just women's leadership development within a company? You know, I do, but one of the things I, I always want to see is I also want to see men included in that. 
If you um, create a bubble effect but only having women, hiring women, only having a women's organization, even having executive sponsors that are women, you really don't get the message out further. You have to be, um, I think both women and men bring very, very great talent to the marketplace, and I think you need both in corporate America. Um, I don't think you have to uh, have one talent over the other, but I think having both um, female and male within your talent pool um, progresses the organization. I think there's new thought structures, new ways of actually leading people, and just an ability to actually become better at uh, the job. And what were some of the personal lessons that you learned as you were climbing up the ranks in corporate America yourself? Well, the, the three that I really say is have a mentor, have somebody that you can go to and talk to, and don't have it be your boss. Have it somebody who's not your boss that you can share some of the tough decisions that you've made or some of the conflicts that you might have with people, um, but also some of the wins so that that person then can actually go and talk about you as an advocate. I also really, at some point in your career, it, be, it becomes less an I and more a we or how do we help and really, how do you give back, um, and how do you give back to others, and how do you give back inside your company, but how do you give out, back outside your company? And what I mean by that is, uh, even from an exposure standpoint, when I talk to different executives, you know, I ask, who knows you outside the company? It's not just who you know, it's really who knows you. Mm-hmm. How are you giving back, and really, how are you making a difference uh, in this lifetime uh, to do additional things besides uh, just the work environment. And so really um, helping others, I think, is a critical thing. And you could do uh, working in a nonprofit. Um, I'm on two different boards right now, both Girls, Inc. and Crystal Cove Alliance, and they're both one is very environmentally sound around science and technology, and the other one is uh, really uh, creating leadership in girls and having them be strong, smart, and bold. And so looking at how you can actually uh, increase your knowledge by outside uh, resources and uh, interacting with uh, people, I think, is critical to that. And the third third piece, and I think you learn this as you go along, and this might sound very basic, but really respecting people at all levels, no matter what position they are in the company. That was one of the big things that I did um, uh, with the women's organization at Sun. Um, As the president of that organization, we had uh, people that were VPs, Uh, From a title standpoint on the board, we had people that were individual contributors, and I will tell you, everyone adds value to an organization, and people have to realize that. And I think it's critical to um, see the value that people bring because it might not be internal experience from a work standpoint. It might actually be external experience that they're bringing to the party and to be open to that. And so those are the three things, uh, mentors, giving back, and respecting people. What kind of um, characteristics should a mentor have, or what should we be looking for in mentors before we approach someone and ask them to be a mentor? Well, one I think um, from a standpoint is is knowledge, uh, also an ability to actually uh, give you the time. Uh, I highly recommend uh, a a formal or informal process. You have to meet on a regular basis. If you're going to give it six months, meet on a monthly basis. Uh, You can meet from 30 minutes to 45 minutes. It really depends on the person you're talking with. But then have very specific things that you want to actually address within that six-month time period. For example, uh, you might say, I'd like to um, get my uh, brand bigger. I'd like to have better communication skills. Or I'd like to have more of a presence in the company. Or I'd really like to understand 
you know, where, where are the potholes in this company? Where, where um, can I continue to grow or where are there opportunities in the next year or two? And really work on very specific things. And my recommendation is work on only one or two things with that mentor so that you can really focus. Because what I always find is when you first start, it might become very businesslike, but as you get to know the person, you actually create a relationship and a friendship, and that will last you a lifetime. I have a, a, a woman who um, was a mentor of mine at Xerox, and uh, we are still friends to this day, and um, uh, she's a wonderful advocate of mine, and I'm an advocate of hers now. And um, I think it's something that you can continue to grow and uh, build upon. Now, and on the other spectrum, sometimes we have mentor relationships that don't work out. What are some clues that it might be time to let go of a mentoring relationship? Well, that's why I say a time frame. Six months is probably a good time because within a six-month time period, typically within the first three months, you'll know if it's working or not. Sometimes there's just not a fit. And if there's not a fit, it's okay to say to that person, you know, I know that you're very busy or I, we're both very busy. Um, would you mind if I, I just called you... Um, you know, once or twice over over the year and see if um, we might be able to talk. And at that point, you can either move on or still make an effort. But there are um, mentoring um, opportunities that, that do not work. But that's really looking at um, the choice that you pick that person and then make sure they have the time, the skill set, and, and really the, the interest in working with you. So if you have those, um, usually you have a higher percentage of, of having a more successful mentoring engagement. That's and based on your experience, both uh, personally and in your research, what have been some of the major obstacles that women encounter on their path to leadership? I think, I think one of the things is that um, I think women um, stay too long at companies um, when they are not getting promoted. And what I mean by that is um, women become very loyal uh, to companies, and I think women have to actually continue to reevaluate uh, not only what are they giving the company, but what is the company giving back. And I think uh, women have a lot more um, hope and faith many times uh, that um, things will work out. But in certain instances, if you've done everything possible, um, it's probably time to, to leave and go get something else. And I will tell you, every time you do that, um, it just gets better and better. Um, uh, secondarily, I think uh, a woman really needs to uh, learn leadership skills. I think they need to understand how to um, communicate uh, across genders. I also think they need to um, learn how to communicate. There's actually a great assessment out there. It's called the Herman Brain Dominant Inventory, and it's really how you think and how you communicate, and I use it in my practice all the time. It's a very easy tool that you can strategically actually talk with somebody for two or three minutes, get an idea of how they are, and I will tell you your sales will go up, your communication will get better, and you'll probably get raises because what you're doing is you're actually facilitating your communication style with the other person. So what you're doing is you're in, instead of you may have been connecting from an A to B standpoint, now you're connecting A to A. And what you're doing is you're hearing how the person likes to be communicated. And I think what it does is you become more intuitive uh, with people. And I find women are very, very good at this after they learn that the styles. Great tip. Do you have any other tips that you can share with our listeners if they want to foster executive leadership? I do. I actually, um, from a standpoint of just personal, one of the things I would always do is really always, um, I never believe in balance. We're always talking about work-life balance. I don't believe in balance, but I do believe in integration. Uh, with five children, I've really had to figure out how to integrate um, my uh, 
personal life with my professional life. And I would tell you, um, all the women on the phone today, do it. Don't let a day go by that you're not integrating somehow your personal life, and that could be if you have a family, if you have friends, if you have parents, um, it, it doesn't matter. You need to be um, uh, rounded out from a standpoint of integrating both sides of it. And women actually, um, there's a, quite a bit of research. The more experiences that you have that create happy memories, it increases your happiness level as an individual. And so what it does is by integrating your personal and professional self, what it does is it actually makes you more whole as an individual. And females actually need this more than men. So what it does is, is really integrating that is critical, but making sure that um, you're making the decisions uh, for your life and that you do have that opportunity to have downtime and uptime, and that could be with work uh, and your personal life, but make sure that you're doing that. And make the decisions around your life. I know a lot of women are holding off on having families. There's a lot of different things you can do medically to um, uh, to help that. Um, but uh, I think if you want a family, you have to prepare for it. And so there's just some things that you can do for that. Um, also making sure um, that you're doing as much for your employees as um, as you're doing for the company, and what I mean by that is it really is a give back. If you have, um, if you're an individual contributor, or even if you are a leader with people reporting to you, I think it's important uh, to look at your employee base and make sure that you are giving um, back to your employees what they need uh, from a perspective of um, integrating that personal, professional self. And the third thing is really um, continue to be a lifelong uh, learner. And um, that goes around leadership styles, that goes around personal and professional life, and that really goes around uh, creating relationships with people. But continue to be a lifelong learner, and I think that those are three secrets that I continue to work on every day. And Dr. Wang, in your experience, what are some of the differences in the leadership styles of men and women? You know, that I have heard so much. There's actually not a lot of research about that because – uh, what I have found that women have certain styles that are uh, better um, utilized than men, um, but women and men actually get to leadership um, styles very differently. Um, uh, typically, women will um, uh, be able to communicate more, but what I do is I talk about three different leadership styles in my book that seem to be um, better equipped for women, and I have found that um, uh, women and men are both good leaders. They may do it differently, and you might even find uh, females that um, are, are good at a certain leadership style as are men. But what I find is if you can generally be um, uh, true to who you are um, as an individual, and from a brain research standpoint, uh, you may um, be uh, uh, female orientation. You might be a bridge brain, and what I mean by that is you might think more like a, a male uh, you may have learned those skills, uh, skill sets, but be true to yourself and authentic and who you are as an individual and how you lead, and you'll become a great leader uh, with that. And so it's really taking the strengths that you have and, and building off of that. Also, um, have as many experiences, uh, creating women's affinity groups, uh, help with leadership, uh, mentoring other people, help with leadership, and also within a company, um, having different leadership roles. And if you are an individual contributor, um, really offering to do a different task force and getting involved within the organization also create leadership opportunities for you. But continue to grow and, and learn what your style is and then continue to push that out as your authentic self. 
Dr. Wong, we're down to two minutes on the show, but I do want to ask you, as a wife, a mother, an author, a businesswoman, what are some of your secrets to personal and business success? So I, I shared a little bit of integration, but I'll share something with all the women who have families, friends, um, children. Integrate it so much that you actually schedule your personal life into your business life. And what I would do, my example is, um, with five children, I never missed a birthday in all the 28 years that I actually traveled. And I, uh, one job I had, I was traveling uh, six days a week. What I would do is I'd actually do red eyes back. And I had two admins at one time, and I, I just asked them to, on the calendar, I'd schedule um, a meeting. And that meeting could be with my children. That meeting could be with the vice president, with the CEO. It didn't matter. It was a meeting that I put on my calendar. I worked everything else around it. Um, also, different holiday times. I think um, you know it's important to be uh, with family during those times, and so scheduling that and taking some time for yourself is important. One of the things I'm really researching now is for the women that actually are more hourly based. Um, when you get into corporate America, uh, your time is not your own when you're at individual contributor at a director level, but as a as a, a VP or higher, in many cases you can schedule your own time. So it gives you the opportunity to really say, I can do that. And if you have large teams of people that report to you, you can say, you know, Tuesday is not going to work for me. I have something else scheduled. Wednesday would be better. But I would love to hear from any women on, on uh, the call today that might um, be on an hourly piece, uh, an hourly uh, engagement, where it's tougher for them to actually do that. And I'm looking at how companies can actually work with hourly employees and have more of an integration uh, for different opportunities for women to step out and maybe see their son or daughter uh, in a school event or uh, go to a family event uh, in the afternoon and how they incorporate that and, and do a little bit of um, uh, job sharing, role-playing role within that model. Dr. Wang, how can our callers get in touch with you? Um, so you can um, actually just Google uh, Dr. Tammy, T-A-M-M-Y, Wong, W-O-N-G, and um, I'm the first one that comes up, and my phone number's there. You can also reach me at 949-651-6250. And if you have any questions, you can call me at any time. Thank you so much, Dr. Wong, for calling in. And for all of my listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, don't hesitate to drop me a line on Facebook. Let me know what you thought. And hopefully I will tune in to you next week. If you have any suggested topics, please don't hesitate to email me. Thank you. God bless. Thanks, Ellie. Thank you, Dr. Wong. Okay, bye-bye.